0: Book of Ephesians, and we're we're still talking about discipleship, and we're talking about uh, the family. And today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter six, and specifically today, we're going to be talking about children and parents. Genesis eighteen nineteen says and this is the Lord speaking of Abraham, he says, For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And so, remember a couple of weeks ago, I really challenged fathers and challenged men uh, to step up and take their proper place, and And this scripture reminds us that as fathers were commanded to command our children and our household that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that, that God would perform his word. Amen? Amen. And so today we're going to talk about children and parents, and we're going to see again the scripture where Paul specifically addresses fathers. Guys, we we can't get off the hook. The Scripture's not going to let us off the hook because we have been called to be the heads of our home. Now, in a lot of ways, in today's culture, that's really a dirty word, and that's a dirty concept. As a matter of fact, I I was home over the weekend. My nephew has been... uh, taken home to be with the Lord. Praise God. And and I appreciate all the well wishes and the prayers and support that you guys have expressed. And I know my sister deeply appreciates your (laughs) prayers. She's taken care of him day and night for 33 years. He uh, had muscular dystrophy and and she has known no other life for the last 33 years than to constantly care for her son. And um, he was in a wheelchair from a very early age. And so, um, thank you for all your prayers. but while I was at home, I read an article in the Victoria Advocate on the in the Saturday paper, and it was quoting a Barna survey that just recently was released and this This was talking specifically about women, how the trends in terms of of women in church is really changing. you know um for many, many decades, it was kind of the standing. Uh, thing that was understood that it, it was the women that were going to show up at church, you know women outnumbered men usually, and this trend is showing that women are becoming less and less faithful to the church uh, in our culture and it also and so in that, there were people commenting as to why that is and why women were abandoning the church and and a lot of the people that they had interviewed uh, for this article in the newspaper <clears throat> uh, indicated that one of the major reasons that women were leaving the church is because the church it, in too many ways still holds to antiquated views about the role of women. And, you know, this. these are offensive concepts to say that the husband is the head of the wife or wives somehow, that we imply wives should be submissive to their husbands, that women are tired of that, and they're not going to put up with that, and that it's time for women to take their proper place. I'm reading this article, I'm thinking, well man, uh, I'm saying just the exact opposite of what these people are saying. Um, and so, you see where there's a dilemma in the church, because the church is trying to figure out, and, and they said it in this article, how do we keep women? How do we draw women? Well, we need to not stress these things because these things in Scripture don't apply anymore in today's culture. Do you see, you see the slippery slope we're going down? And we wonder why our culture, why our world is in such disarray. And we're willing to take this Bible and basically either rewrite it or just rip whole sections out of it because it just doesn't apply anymore. And the church better get current because the Bible obviously is not current anymore. That's really what they're saying. And there are men of God and there's movements that are promoting that. So we rewrite the Scripture and we take all the gender references out because we don't want people to get offended because of gender reference. I mean, these are realities. So the question is, what do we do as the church? Do we, do we bend under the pressure of the culture that says the church has got to come into the 21st century and get current if she wants to hang on to people? And so at all costs, we're going to do whatever it takes to get people to come, but but will just compromise the truth. These are the dynamics that are happening today. And so, here's a fair question. As Christ Fellowship Church, what are we to do? You don't have to answer me. But women, does it offend you when I say what the Scripture says? Does it offend you, women, when it when I quote what, Paul said, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's offensive to some people. And and if it's not offensive, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It makes a lot of men uncomfortable. And of course, we always want to concentrate on that one, and we don't want to ever go to the next one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And I I always say the reason women have a problem submitting is because we don't have men willing to die for their wives. I mean, you know, we won't even give up a good football game for them, much less our life, right? I, I can say that because, man, you know, when the Horns are playing for the national championship, I mean... Honey, can it wait? I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I'm some self-righteous or perfect. My wife will tell you real quick, I'm not. I mean, these are this is human nature, right? This is our fallen nature. This is what we struggle with. Putting our self-will or our convenience above what, what is demanded of us. I mean, we don't need to all get, you know, high and mighty here. I mean, we all struggle with these things, right? And yes, I would, I would die for my wife if I had to. I, mean, I think most husbands here would, would say that. And the reality is, you're probably never going to be put in that position. So, here's what I think most wives probably feel. The reality is, you probably would die for me, if you had to, but more than likely, you're never going to have to die for me, but won't you just take out the trash for me? <laughs> I mean, You're not going to have to die for me. I know you would if you had to, but, but sometimes, would you wash the dishes for me? I mean, sometimes our wives, at least I know my wife's not asking me to die for her, but she is asking me if, if I'll do the dishes sometimes, or if I'll take out the trash without her having to ask me five times. Or if I will, whatever. You know, guys, you can think of the list, right? Or here's a good one that happens a lot in my house. If I'll just listen to her and not get preoccupied. But when she talks to me, if I would really listen to her words. Guys, have you ever been talking to your wife and you get distracted. I don't know if I have ADHD or whatever. I don't know if I have that or not. I was never tested for it. I don't know. But I do know sometimes my wife talks to me and I'll find myself. Now, I really do believe I can multitask. I really do. I like Mac computers and, you know, Mac Mac 88 is Windows 98. And Macs were multitasking way before. Uh, you know, those other, so I, I'm like, I really believe I can multitask. And so I can be looking over here and thinking about something else while my wife's talking to me, and, but she doesn't think I can. And she'll say, you're not listening to me. I say, yes, I am. What did I just say? Now, sometimes I can tell her what she just said. <laughs> but sometimes I can't. But the reality is, I told this to a guy the other day, I said, "You know bro, whether you are or whether you aren't, the perception is is that you're not paying attention, and if that's the perception our wives have, then there really is a problem. I mean, you know these are these are things that that every relationship, whether it's a husband or wife, a brother, sister, friends i mean these are these are things, but But we get back to what what is the Scripture saying here? Why does the Scripture, why do these things make us feel uncomfortable? Why do they make us? Well, a lot of times it's because we, we know what they say and we want to apply them selectively. Like husbands always want to make sure their wives get that part about submitting. But then we want to conveniently forget that part about loving and giving ourselves as Christ did. And so today uh, we're going to talk about children obeying their parents. And when we, as we've gone through Ephesians chapter 5, and now we're in Ephesians chapter 6, one thing I, I want to remind you of, just turn there to Ephesians chapter 5. And remember, last week we talked about how Paul told us how to walk and how it was like this, you know, this big picture, and Paul is zeroing in. Walk. In love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself for Well, he tells that to all of us before he, he tells that to wives specifically and husbands specifically. So as believers, we're commanded to all walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. And then he says, you are once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So he says, walk as children of light. And then he, he mentions the fruit of the Spirit. And as we walk as children of life, that's not just some general term, but that, that should look a certain way. That should demonstrate something. That should manifest something. And Paul reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're going to talk a little bit about self-control today. Then he brings it down and he says, Walk not as fools, but walk as wise. He says, Walk circumspectly. And that word means accurately. Walk accurately. And you see, Paul is, man, he is focusing. He's narrowing in on something here. How do we walk accurately? According to what? What's the pattern that we're to accurately walk? According to, it's the pattern of Christ. It's Christ. Christ is the pattern. Remember a few weeks ago, I did, a, I did a sermon series about the pattern of the house. Christ is the pattern of the house. He is the plan. He is the blueprint. He is the pattern. And, and His is, He is the pattern that we are to walk after. And so when, we, when Paul says walk accurately, circumspectly, He is the pattern that we're to walk after. And then he makes this statement in verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're not going to concentrate on that today because I'm going to concentrate on that after we finish today's because this all still has to do with discipleship. It all has to do with discipleship. And so... He says, be filled with the Spirit. And he tells us very specific things. A Spirit-filled life will speak a certain way. A Spirit-filled life will have a melody that comes from the heart. In other words, it will have an attitude of the heart that will sound and look a certain way. A Spirit-filled life, he says, will be a life that is... Full of thanksgiving. It will give thanks in all things. Not just the things that are good or easy to give thanks for, but it will give thanks in all things. And then he says this. A spirit-filled life is a submitted life. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Then he says this. This is your favorite part wives verse 22 wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord and, and you know we can do um, we can do gymnastics with these words but the reality is these words mean what they mean well you know to submit really uh, it, well what it really mean well what it really means is to submit <laughs> i mean there's just no other way to say it ladies i'm sorry I know that's politically incorrect, but it's truth. And here's where the church has to decide. Either we're going to stand for the truth, or we're going to fall and crumble trying to prop up a lie. And I'm telling you what. See, the problem is, is this is all happening at the pace it always happens in cultures and societies. You know, Rome didn't fall one day after she was established. Matter of fact, it was many centuries after she was established, she fell. But her decline was a long, slow decline that was denied by most of the people who lived within the empire. Sound familiar? America's not going to fall in one day. Her decline is going to be just like the decline of every other great power that's ever existed on the planet earth. It will be a slow decline. And the majority of the people in that nation will deny the reality of that decline. And the voices like the prophet Jeremiah who are trying to herald the truth and tell the truth, those voices are denied and shut up. And so we as the church, we're called to be heralds of the truth, proclaimers of the truth. Might not be popular, might not be politically incorrect, but the Bible doesn't say political correctness will set you free. It says the truth will set you free. And you and I know that the truth Especially in this day and time that we live in, the truth is rarely politically correct any longer. Um, Do you guys agree with me? It is the truth. But as children of God, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be committed to truth regardless of the cost. It may cost us socially, it may cost us in many ways, but we've got to be committed to the truth. Because our society, our culture, our government, our friends and family who don't agree with us are not going to be the ones that are going to hold us up and sustain us. It is the Lord. And if we abandon the truth of the Lord God Almighty, we are left with nothing but an illusion. I don't care how big and how many people we have following us. It doesn't, that doesn't matter at all. What matters is this right here, the truth. And I think if you look in general at what's happening in our culture, you'll see, man, it it is just, it's tracking. There's a parallel track of what's happening in the church with what's happening in the culture. And that's not an accident. And so these things become unpopular. Why? Because our culture changes. Yeah, the culture changes, but God doesn't change. Amen? Political correctness changes, but the Word of God doesn't change. Scripture doesn't change. And actually, this, this truth about wives and husbands really should be a truth that brings great security. Now, husbands, how are your wives going to feel secure in this in the face of this reality, well, you're going to love her the way Christ loved the church. You're responsible for that. and You're going to give yourself for her the way Christ gave himself for the church. And You're not going to give her any reason to fear being submitted to you. And you're going to remember that before the scripture says, submit wives to your husbands, it says submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And you're going to remember that, that even though your wife is to be submitted to you, you both are submitted under the headship of Christ. And He is the Lord, and He is the one, ultimately, who is in control. And if we follow His will and His leading, our wives should find nothing but safety, security, and joy in the relationship that we call marriage. And so you see, then, Paul addresses husbands, and he compares this whole relationship to Christ and the church. As a matter of fact, he says, this is a great mystery, verse 32 I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, what's Paul talking? Paul is still talking about a spirit-filled life here. He's still talking about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a Christian, how that affects every area of our life. Another thing we need to stop doing is compartmentalizing our life. You don't have a work life, a church life, a play life, a home life. That's... that's that's not true. That's, that's something we've made up. You have one life, and that life is in Christ. And whether you're at work, or whether you're at play, or whether you're here listening to me, or whatever you're doing, you, you don't have compartments you move to. You don't have a spiritual life and a secular life. You're, you should not be one way on Sunday morning and another way on Friday night, or Thursday morning, or Tuesday. Midday. You shouldn't be. It should be the same all the time because you live under the headship of the same Lord. You didn't stop being in Christ when you left the church building on Sunday morning. You're still in Christ on Monday morning. And so our lives should should communicate that, should should manifest that. And so... Paul is, this is all inclusive. This is a big picture. He's, he's putting everything together here. And he's showing us something. So it goes on and he says, he says this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then he says, children. Are you listening children? We're all children, aren't we? This applies to all of us. If you're here today, you're a child of somebody, right? Yes, you are. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So obviously, when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it, and he's addressing children. There were children in the congregation that this letter was being read to. Now, I'm not anti-children's church and programs, but here's another problem we have in the church. We have developed a system whereby, take my grandson, Ephraim. Ephraim could, depending on the church that he goes to, he could, when his parents bring him to church on Sunday morning, they could drive up to the church, they could go to the nursery, they could drop him off, and for the next 18 years of his life, he will know nothing except interaction with children his own age. And then when he turns 18, and we... Say, well, you're done with children's church and we throw them into big church. That's, those are the terms we use. Children's church and big church. This is, in case you guys didn't know, this is big church here. You're in big church right now. Whew. So when they turn 18, we throw them into big church and you know what we expect? We expect that they just know how to behave in big church. But, but yet they've spent their whole life learning with people their same age, and they've been given candy and they play games and they do all kinds of things and they get in big church and they say, hey, the pastor, I noticed today, the pastor didn't give me any candy today. Hey, we didn't play any games. We didn't have any balloons. Uh, there were no puppets. There, you know, he wore regular clothes. I mean, there, there were no props anywhere. I'm, this is kind of boring. I, I think I'll go do something more fun. I think I'll go to the lake instead. You don't believe me? The statistics don't lie. They're leaving the church in droves. In droves. You know why? Because big church it's not relevant for them. It's not what they've spent 18 years learning. It's not what they've become conditioned to expect. And so I've had parents tell me, "Well, you know, we really liked your preaching, but you know, um, we we really just want to get a break from our kids when we come to church." Oh, and I just smile politely, I'm like, "Well, it's only during worship. What's the problem?" Yeah, but I can't get into worship, you know, when I worry about my kids right there and. This is real people. And we wonder, we wonder why our culture's falling apart. Well, why can't that teacher get my kid under control? I don't understand. Well, well, maybe that teacher doesn't want to be bothered with your kid either. I mean, your kid's not even hers. But she's supposed to be more compassionate and, 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 and want more for your kid than you do? You can't even handle sitting in church for 30 or 45 minutes on a Sunday morning dealing with your child? I'm like, oh, do we? are we so blind? Are we so blind? I think we are in many ways. Or we're that selfish. Children. Man, I haven't even got to my message yet. Children, are you listening, children? Obey your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. See, here's the thing. The reality of children obeying in the Lord could only come in its proper form as the children understood what it meant to be in the Lord. See, what we want to do is quote this scripture, Ephesians 1, to our children. Hey! You've got to obey me because the Bible says so. And if you don't, I'm going to spank your butt. I'm not against spanking their butts. I spank my kids' butts. Okay? But I'm going to tell you right now, parents, the answer is not just spanking their butts. You can spank their butts till they turn red. And you're not going to do anything. Because we can't just pull a scripture out of the air and say, that's what the Bible says, so you got to do it. See, the thing is, the whole letter was written to the whole church, young and old. And how can your children understand why they are to obey if they don't understand what it means to be in the Lord? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We want to ship them off for an hour of fun and games, but but by golly gosh, they better obey me when they get out of church because that's what the Bible says. But they have no clue of what it means to be in Christ. Why? Because, I don't know. Is someone teaching them? Well, that church is supposed to teach them that. No. No. No, dad and mom, you're supposed to teach them that. And we're supposed to reinforce that for you. So if kids don't know what it means to be in the Lord, how are they going to properly obey? How are they going to operate properly in this relationship if, if they don't know, if they don't understand? That's true just as a wife submitting to her husband and a husband loving his wife can only come in a proper form as a husband and wife, understand what it means to be in the Lord. Why are women so fearful of pastors like me who preach the truth? There are some women that would not darken the door of this church because of what I have said this morning. And you know what? Their fears may be founded because more than likely, they've never had a man who loved them the way Christ loved the church. And how are husbands and wives going to come into a proper relationship if they don't understand what it means to be in Christ? And if the church isn't going to teach them, how are they going to know? And if the church church is not teaching parents, then how are parents going to teach their kids? And if we're not willing to hold people accountable to these things, to the truth, then the Scripture says, that without a vision, the people cast off restraint. And a vision's not just a good idea that God gave you in a dream one night. Honey, I think I'm going to start a business. God gave me a vision. Well, maybe He did or maybe not. That's not what the scripture's talking about. You see, the vision, the vision that we're to have, the vision that should be before us, is Christ. He's what this book is about. He's what we're being conformed to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the very same image. I mean, the scripture's pretty clear what the vision should be that we are to have. The vision is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look unto Him, it says that we are being transformed, conformed to the same image. But if I'm not looking at Jesus, guess what I'm being conformed to? I'm being conformed to whatever I set my eyes on. And when I take my eyes off Jesus and set them on anything else, I've cast off restraint because the Lord must be the one. That vision must be the vision that constrains us that we are being conformed to. So to obey or submit in the Lord is is not a legalistic drudgery, but it should be a joyous liberty. And this is what we must learn and live and so teach to the generations until He comes again. Parents, are you teaching your kids that to obey in the Lord is, is legalistic drudgery? Are you making it legalistic drudgery? Are you telling them it's what they have to do? Are you reinforcing? No, it's what you are able to do. It's what you get to do. It is your liberty to obey. It's your joy to obey. Wives, when you think of submitting to your husband, do you think it's my joy to submit to him? Ooh, don't amp, don't raise your hands. Here. Okay. See, I make sure my wife's not in here when I preach these messages. Husbands, when you think of loving your wives and giving yourselves as Christ gave the church, does that bring joy or, or does it go, oh man. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. This is a command to children for it is right to obey. To obey is to hear under, to, to be conformed to the command. How are our children going to hear? It's, that's what, it's in this word, to hear under. This word obey means to hear under. How are our children going, how are they going to hear, fathers, parents, if we're not speaking to them the things that they need to hear? And I'm not just talking about when you finally get fed up with your kid and, and, and he hasn't done or she hasn't done what you asked him to do, so now you're going to march in there and take your rightful place that's the wrong time to take your rightful place. You should have taken your rightful place long before you reached that point. They should be hearing under you, not just about the things that aren't right, but the things that are right. And the instruction and the guidance that's not precipitated by something that's wrong, but just because. This is the role of parents in the lives of their children. And if our children will get used to hearing us, hearing under us, when we have to command them to do something, you know what, it's not going to be burdensome to them because they're going to be used to it. But the only time you go to your kid to tell them, to command them, to get them to obey something is is when you're at your final straw, your last resort, do you see the pattern? you see how we condition our children in disobedience instead of obedience? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why in the Lord? In the Lord defines the nature of the relationship in the family and, and the nature of the relationship in Christ. In the Lord defines the character of the obedience in the family and the character of the obedience in Christ. This applies to children and to parents. Obey in the Lord. How do you come to your children, parents? And of course, parents always want to, you know, well, you know, Jesus, He did take a whip and drive out the money changers from the temple. Why do, we always want to take one example and use that to justify. <laughs> How did Jesus teach... His disciples. I submit to you that the same way Jesus taught His disciples is the same way we should teach our children. Does that mean that there's never room for, for discipline in terms of taking a whip after them? Well, maybe not a whip. Though my mom, my mom used a horse whip on me when I was a kid. We had a it was like a little riding whip. Oh, man. It had two little things, and man, it it, it leave you... Two whelps, right there. Everywhere it hits you. One day, my aunt B, my aunt B didn't have any children. We were. She was like my grandma. She loved us like her own. And my mom was disciplining us, and somehow, that horsewhip disappeared that day, and we never could find it again. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if it was just coincidence that Aunt B happened to be at the house when Mom was using the horsewhip. I don't know. But, but to this day, we've never found the horsewhip. I don't know what happened to it. I really would like to have it. It was kind of cool. <laughs> children obey your parents. In the Lord. For this is right. This is righteous. The obedience of children does not make them righteous, but reflects the righteousness of Christ through their actions under the instruction of their parents. Colossians 3:20 says, "Children obey your parents." In the Lord, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is because it reflects well the Lord. Listen, why is it well-pleasing to the Lord? Because it reflects well the Lord in all He modeled for us as it pleased Him to obey His Father. Children, do do you find your pleasure in obeying your parents? Jesus found His pleasure in obeying His Father. As we disciple our children, parents in the Lord, they will come to know that it is their pleasure to obey you. And that doesn't mean they don't have a mind of their own, they do. And we should allow our children to learn to think, to find their own faith, but there's a proper time and a proper place and a proper way to do that. I had someone a while back say, I mean, and their kids were little. Well, I let my kid decide whether they want to go to church or not. I mean, we're talking like a seven-year-old. I'm like, okay, let me think about this for a minute. When I was seven years old, if my mom said, Jeff, do you want to go to church or do you want to stay home and play? I'm going to stay home and play every day, all day long. That's not freedom. That's not letting your child be their own. I want them to have their own faith. Okay, so what if they want to be Buddhist? Or what if they want to be atheist? Parents? God did give us a brain, right? So if we don't understand what it means to be in Christ, how are we going to teach our kids? So again Jesus obedience to his father was not simply obligation because it was right it was his joy and his glory through willing submission. And then in verse 3 Paul verse 2 Paul quotes Deuteronomy quotes the Old Testament quotes the law and he says honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long In the land, some versions say that you may live long on the earth. And some people equate this to if children, now if you'll obey mommy and daddy, you'll live to be an old man. Well, what are we saying? Well, if you obey mommy and daddy, God won't kill you. That's really what we're saying in an indirect way. I just had a nephew, he died at 33, that's pretty young. Well, Jesus died at 33, I guess he wasn't a very obedient son, was he? Let's not try to make the scripture mean something it's not intended to mean. Don't threaten your children. Now, when that commandment was given, you know what they used to do to rebellious children? Twelve-year-old kid who was rebellious, the law said you know what you could do? You could take him out to the... Gates of the city and stone him to death. Now, in a sense, they weren't saying God would kill you. They're saying if you'll obey and not be rebellious, we won't have to kill you. (laughs) Seriously. We won't have to execute the death penalty on you if you will obey your parents, and you'll live long in the land. There is a greater spiritual implication here, I believe. Who is our land? Who is our promised land? Christ is our promised land. There is a principle of of obedience, of honor. To honor means to to value and revere. If we don't value and revere our earthly parents, how are we going to value and revere our heavenly Father? We won't. And if we don't value and revere our Heavenly Father, it's going to be pretty hard to come into the land, isn't it? It's going to be pretty hard to find eternal life in Christ if we don't value and revere our Heavenly Father. Because if we don't value and revere the Heavenly Father, we're not going to value and revere the Son. And If we don't value and revere the Son, we're not going to trust in Him. And if we don't trust in Him, we are dead and lost in our sin. You see the implication here? Everything God put in the scripture is pointing us to the greatest and the greater implication, which is Christ. And God's not so disconnected with the humans that he created to believe that that we can just live life any way we want to here on this earth. We can disrespect our parents. We can disrespect authority. We can disrespect everything, but yet we still want to go to heaven. God says, no, you're not going to miss heaven because you disrespected. You're going to miss heaven because you never came to know the truth. And the reason you disrespected and the reason you dishonored and the reason you didn't value and the reason you wouldn't trust is because you never came to know the truth. So Paul says, honor. Honor your father and mother. So the Bible says, children, obey your parents. It says, children, honor your parents. To honor means to value, to revere. Children, listen, children will value and revere their parents as the parent values and reveres their children. As they lovingly discipline their children according to the Scriptures. Some parents are afraid to discipline their children because they're afraid they're going to hurt their feelings. This is the whole mentality of the government school system. Don't use red ink anymore because it's too harsh. That's true. That's a real deal. Now, I don't know if they still use it in Taylor or not. There are school districts who have abandoned red ink because it's too harsh. These are mandates that are sent down. I've read them myself from from the NEA. It's what all the psychologists are telling them. Don't tell the kids that 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 5. They'll figure it out on their own. We want everyone to be a winner. Well, I wonder, when I graduated from high school, why I, I, I didn't get that job. They said I, was, I didn't know remedial math. But I got A's all through school. Now, a survey just came out last week. Community colleges in Texas. I, actually, maybe across the nation. Here's what they're saying. Five out of every ten students graduating from high school, applying to community college, five out of every ten, that means one out of every two, that means 50% cannot perform remedial math and remedial reading. What that means is, basically, when they get into college, they have to give them high school, grade school level reading and math classes, just to get them caught up with college math and college reading. Now, if they've spent 12 years in grade school, why didn't they learn to read and do math at that level? Well, it's the same principle. We wonder why the church isn't preaching the gospel. Well, we don't want to tell women they have to submit to their husbands because that's offensive to them. Because, you know, women and men are equal. Well, gee, the last time I checked, there were quite a few differences between women and men. I mean, I don't know. I have looked at the magazines before. And, And there is a difference. In every way, there's a difference. There's a difference between parents and children. Parents, your first responsibility is not to be the best friend of your child. Your responsibility is to be the parent to that child. But there should be a relationship there of love that is unique between a child and a parent that does not diminish the role of that parent as the authority figure over that child. I'm still talking to you about discipleship. Now, see, we want to go out, we want to save the world and disciple the world, but, but, but we don't want to deal with our own families because it's too uncomfortable, it's too politically incorrect. So the church is out there trying to motivate everyone to go get, go get the world saved, but our families are all going to hell. We got it backwards, people. And we've got it backwards because we're unwilling to deal with the hard issues because we don't want to offend people. Well, we don't want to we don't want those kids to not graduate because if they get held back then then it's going to be you know it's going to be too hard for them socially. Oh, so you'd rather just shove them out the door and be done with them and now they can't read or write, they can't get a job, they can't do anything because you failed in your responsibility because you are more worried about hurting their feelings than you are teaching them what was truth. You know why that is the way it is in the school system? Because that's what we've done in the church. Well, we can't tell women to submit to their husbands because that's too unpopular. Well, we can't say, children, obey your parents and and really focus in on that because then then parents may abuse their children. If you tell parents that it's okay for them to spank their children, we're going to have a rash of child abuse as if we don't already. So let's just rip all the places out of our Bible where it says, spank your children. Let's rip out all the places where somehow it diminishes or distinguishes the gender roles. See, we've missed the whole point of the truth. God's not against women, and He's not against children. He's not pro-man. As a matter of fact, God's pretty hard on the men. matter of fact, fathers, and I'm talking to myself here, We will be the first ones held accountable for our families. We will be. Because we are the ones responsible. And we can keep being like Adam and put it off on the woman. God, it's that woman. God, it's that woman. God, it's that woman. Well, you know, if that woman would just do what I want her to do, then I wouldn't divorce her. Well, buddy, maybe if you'd love her the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, maybe you would find that you wouldn't have to divorce her. She'd be fighting to keep you. Who wouldn't? We wouldn't have children so rebellious. Why do you think children are rebellious? Now, I know there's exceptions to every rule, but I'm going to tell you what. The reason most children today are very rebellious is because their parents are rebellious. (laughs) And parents want their kids to be what they refuse to be. Now, listen, Johnny, when you go to school, you do what that teacher tells you to do, don't you cheat on those tests anymore. Cheating is evil. Honey, I know that we didn't really have this deduction, but, man, they'll never catch us. Let's just go ahead and write this off. The chances of us ever being audited by the IRS are slim to none. Let's go ahead and take that deduction because we need the money. Oh, but Johnny, don't, te- don't, cheat-, don't cheat on your test, but I'm going to cheat on my taxes. Don't lie to the teacher, but I'm going to lie to my boss. And so we say, yeah, but my kid didn't know I cheated on my taxes. It doesn't matter. There's a spiritual principle involved here. In rebellion will breed rebellion. And parent, if you are rebellious, you're going to have a rebellious kid. Now, there are exceptions. There are kids that grow up with no oversight. And I'm telling you what, it is the grace of God that they're able to come through. But in general... God has given parents a responsibility. So it says, honor your father and your mother. Children are best taught by example, not simply by what we say. And This is exactly why Paul writes the next verse. Let's go to the next verse. Ephesians 6, 4. I'm sorry. Yeah. And you fathers... Fathers, do not provoke your children unto wrath. But bring them up in the training and admonition or the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now this is a warning to fathers, but it's also a reminder that ultimately the father is the one responsible to lead his family in the way of the Lord. Dads, we can never say it's a mom's fault because that kid doesn't love Jesus. And this is why I believe the Spirit of God brings it back to fathers. Does this mean that our children are never going to get upset with us? Now nah, I'm not going to ask how many people spank their kids in here. But I'm going to tell you, I spanked my kids, okay? Some I had to spank more than others. I won't tell you which ones that was. But I will tell you this, the one I had to spank, spank least was my daughter. I mean, I could just look at her and she'd just start crying, you know. But inevitably, yeah, I don't know, do, you, do, you, do your kids do this? Inevitably, you go to spank them. I did this. There goes the hand. No, mommy, no, daddy, don't spank me. Move your hands, move your hand. No, no, move your hands. I'm going to hit your hand. No, no, whack. Ah, you hurt my hand. I told you to move it. I told you to move it. <laughs> yeah, I warned you. <laughs> I hope no one works for CPS here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it, it, it doesn't mean, so did my kids get upset when I spanked them? Yes. Did they get mad? Yes. Did they get their feelings hurt? Yes. So let's understand what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. I mean, if we we expected that we're going to discipline our children and they're never going to become angry or upset or get their feelings hurt, then we're, we're never going to administer proper discipline. That's unreasonable. This is not what he's talking about. So if discipline can only be administered in a way in which children don't get upset, angry, or their feelings hurt, then then we can't administer proper discipline. So proper discipline, listen, parents, especially you dads, and, and I know this from experience. I didn't do this one. Proper discipline is not more velocity with the paddle. It's not. Proper discipline is not more volume in your voice. Now, I've I've got great, I have a real great volume. My my voice volume goes, the numbers go real high. I'm just a real loud person. You guys have never heard me really get loud. You might think you have, but you really haven't. But proper discipline is not more volume in our voices, and it's not more animation as we rant and rave. (laughs) Have you ever done that? I have. (laughs) I'm glad my family never took a video of me. Now, it's a good thing I'm not a father now, because now they video everything. Back then, we didn't have video cameras, thank God. (laughs) It'd be be horribly embarrassing. But I've told you guys this story before. You know, and when I lived in the mobile home, I had that door. I kicked in the, the, the storm door, and I left the storm door there kicked in and damaged as a reminder to myself of how stupid I can become when I let my anger, I don't take my anger out on living things, I take my anger out on, on inanimate things. I don't get mad at people, I, I get mad at my car, because I, I never can fix my, I hate working on cars, man, I can never be a mechanic, I get you know, I get mad at things like that, and Andrew's like, "That's so stupid. It's a, it's a machine. It can't. It. Why are you mad at something that it's just a machine? Yeah, but I'm mad because. Well, why? Because I can't fix it. <laughs> so discipline is not proper. Discipline is not those things. So we can't listen. We must not confuse parental anger with parental discipline, or we can't confuse a parent's lack of self-discipline for the discipline. A parent is to properly administer to their children. So this brings up a, an important question. Should, should parents never be angry when they discipline? And, and I don't believe there's anything wrong with being angry when you discipline, but you must never angrily discipline your children. There is a difference between being angry and angrily disciplining your children. I can be righteously angry about something my child has done, and I can discipline them in that righteous anger. But where we get into trouble is when we let our anger get out of control, and we are angrily disciplining our children. That is a sin. And so Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. It didn't say anger is a sin. It says there is a sinful anger. Don't be sinfully angry. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And when we angrily discipline, this is the category I believe we fall into. And we do what the Scripture says next. We provoke our children unto wrath. So what does it mean for a father to provoke or for a father not to provoke their children to wrath? This goes back to the previous verse about honoring your father and your mother. There is a right way to... Discipline is not punishment, by the way, folks. There's a right way to discipline your children. And if we discipline our children in the right way, they will grow up and they will honor their parents. They will value and revere their parents because of the discipline that was administered. How do we know that? Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says God disciplines us. Why? Because He loves us. Because we are legitimate children. He doesn't uh, doesn't discipline illegitimate children. He disciplines his legitimate children. And we think love is never telling our kids anything, never calling into question. That's not love. The Bible says that's hate. It says God loves us and he calls us and he disciplines us because he does love us. So... This goes back to this thing of honoring their parents. Don't provoke your children to wrath, fathers. So when parents discipline properly, it will instill honor in their children. When parents improperly discipline, children will not learn to honor. You know what they'll learn? They'll learn to despise you if you don't discipline properly. And that can be disciplining angrily. Or it can be taking your hands off and thinking that by letting your child do whatever they want to do, that that is love. That's not love. In, in either way you go there, they're going to grow up to despise you. And that's not what God wants. Proper discipline builds up a child and proper discipline tears down a child. Proper and improper discipline both are unpleasant. But only one is profitable. A child left to themselves, the Bible says, will bring shame to its parents. And while that child is left to themselves, that child might think that they've got a very pleasant life to live, free to do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. But they'll grow up one day and they'll realize that what their parents did by letting them do whatever really was not loving. And they will grow up to despise their parents. I deal with way too many people who have experienced that. People who struggle with loving God, and they they struggle with loving God because they can't love their parents, and they can't love their parents because their parents would never administer biblical discipline to them. So we're not to provoke them to wrath, but we're to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, proper discipline brings up. Proper discipline trains. It teaches. It it nurtures. It admonishes. That word admonish means to warn, to rebuke. Not in a harsh way, but in the right way. If your child doesn't know anybody and they're wandering out into traffic, you you don't go just wail on them. You teach them. Now, after you've taught them that they're not to go out into traffic and they keep doing it, then spank their butts. Okay? That's acceptable. In the right way. So proper discipline provides training. It nurtures development. It provides honest guidance. It's willing to rebuke and to warn. It always turns that child to the Lord. When we discipline, when we train our children, what are we training them? We're training them to turn to the Lord. We're pointing them to Jesus. We're not saying, I am the authority in the home. You do what I tell you to do. And it ends there. It's no, I am your father. I am your parent. And we are under the headship, the submission of the Lord. And the point of me disciplining you is to turn you to the Lord. This is what God commanded Abraham, that he would train his family, lead his family in the way of the Lord so that God would perform his word. So if you're wondering what all this has to do with discipleship, what it has to do with being filled with the Spirit, how it helps me deal with my life right now, I want to ask you, I want you to think about some conditions that exist around us. How, how does this affect me? You say, well, man, I got my life in order. My kids are grown and, and, you know, this really doesn't apply to me. Really? I want you to think about this. Ask a teacher about the condition of her children in her classroom or his classroom. I want you to think about all of your money that's going, trying to deal with the problems that exist in the classroom. Ask a police officer about the condition of families and of children. I'm a police chaplain, and I know what they have to deal with every day. And it's not pretty. Ask the mother or the father abandoned by their spouse and left to raise their children alone. Ask grandparents left to raise their grandchildren because the parents will not. Ask the child left to raise him or herself because the parent neglects their responsibility for their convenient pleasure. You talk to some teachers, they'll tell you there's lots of those kids out there. Ask why people are not turning to God, but instead turning to government as the answer. As your tax bill increases. And as your freedoms are taken away from you. More and more and more. Ask why our nation seems to be crumbling into an ever deepening crisis. Ask yourself that question. Ask why the church is more concerned with appeasing man than pleasing God. Ask why the church is failing to preach, teach, and live the gospel. And ask why we are reaping What we are sowing. Because you know we are. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. You know what that means? It means it hails on the just and the unjust. It droughts on the just and the unjust. It floods on the just and the unjust. What this nation is sowing and now reaping, Guess what? The righteous who live in this nation, you might say, but I've done everything the right way. It doesn't matter. It is raining on us right now. So what is the church going to do? Is she going to throw in the towel and say, it's not worth it. I'm just going to survive here on earth until I die, and I'm going to go to heaven and be done with it. That's like the school administrators who say, we're just going to get these kids through school, we're going to pass them so we can keep getting government money, and then once they're out of here, then it's somebody else's problem. See, we've tried living that way now for too many decades, and you know what? God, God doesn't let that fly. He will not let that fly. So we as the church, we're either going to stand up and do the right thing, and that means all of us. And we're going to facilitate discipleship, and it's got to start right here in the house of God. Judgment starts in the house of God, discipleship needs to start in the house of God. And that means we have to make a commitment to be disciples because we can't make disciples until we become disciples. And that means that we need to take a hard look at our own lives. And I know I'm keeping you late today, but this is important. This is important. If you love the church, if you love this nation that you've been graced and fortunate to be born in or to live in now, if you believe God established it for a plan and a purpose, and God created you for a plan and a purpose, I'm telling you what we're talking about today is important. And if the church doesn't stand up, And say, you know what, I'm not gonna scam the system anymore, I'm not gonna take advantage anymore, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna slide by anymore, I'm gonna do what's right. And it's gonna start in my home. Does that mean we're always gonna get it right? We're always gonna be perfect. I can tell you right now, I won't. But will you hold me to accountability? And will you be willing to be held to accountability? Are we going to get our feelings hurt and take our ball and go home? See, this is the problem in the church. Everybody gets their feelings hurt and they want to take their ball and go home. And this is why our nation is crumbling. How many of you parents have ever had a kid say, Well, I'm just going to run away from home? Caleb did, he ran away from home one time. I think that was the time he called his mom Saddam Hussein. (laughs) And he ran away from home. He did, he really did. He called her Saddam Hussein. It was right in the middle of the first Gulf War, and he just said, you are Saddam Hussein. You're just as mean as Saddam Hussein. Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you or anything. but. And he did, he ran away from home. He didn't get very far. And he realized. You know why he came back? He came back because we're family. We watched him out the window, but we weren't going to let him go. You know why? Because we're family. But why does the church not understand we're family? That's what the Bible says we are. So if I love my son enough, am I going to discipline him? I better. If I really love him, I will. If you love me enough, will you discipline me? Or do you think because I'm the pastor, I'm above discipline? Or do you say, well, hey, I'm an adult. You don't have to just get out of my business. Okay, that's fine. Do we believe this word or do we not believe this word? Are we going to selectively choose what we want to believe and what we want to live by? or Are we going to commit? I know it's hard. Are we going to commit to live by what the whole counsel of God declares? Are we going to? If the church doesn't make that commitment soon, America as you know it is not going to exist for too many more decades. It won't. Now I'm going to tell you this. God will have his way. The gospel will work. Jesus will be glorified. But that doesn't mean that we as a nation are going to get a free pass just because we're America. We don't live in Nigeria, we don't live in Cuba, we don't live in Mexico, we don't live in Canada, we don't live in Japan, we live in the United States of America. God has put you here. However you got here, God has put you here. And we are commanded to be salt and light right here. And if you don't make a personal decision to begin that, to do that every day in your life, And what we see happening is going to keep happening. And you can point fingers at the politicians all day long, but we elected them and we hold them responsible. So Washington really is not the problem. The problem is an American public and an American people who refuse to submit to the Word of God, who refuse to submit to authority, who refuse to submit because we all want whoever's going to promise me the most, that's who I'm voting for. Whoever will give me the most, that's what I'll vote for. And so here we are, right where we are. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to challenge you week in and week out because somebody, the church has got to stand up. If the church isn't going to do it, it is not going to get done. And if we want to change a nation, it's got to start right here with us. Let's all stand. If you want to change your family, let it begin with you. Father, we know Christ is the answer. But we know, Lord... That is the answer, but the solutions are not easy, and they are not quick. And Lord, I truly believe that's part of our problem. We want an easy and quick solution to everything, and there is none. And there certainly is not when we talk about these issues that affect our families, that affect, Lord, our churches, that affect ultimately our nation, Lord, it's line upon line and precept upon precept. It's here a little, there a little. Lord, we truly are like the frog in the kettle that is getting ready to boil. And the heat is increasing ever so incrementally that we can't hardly discern it. But we're beginning to notice that the heat has been turned up. And Father, I pray that we would be a people personally, corporately, nationally, that would repent before You. That would change our mind, turn our hearts and turn our eyes back to You. That we would be courageous enough as parents, as husbands, as wives, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to not only stand up for the truth, but to stand in the truth and endure the loving discipline that you desire to administer. And that we would not find that as hard and drudgery, but we would find it as joyful and glorious. That what you are trying to bring us into, Lord, is the glorious liberty of Christ. The joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. God, help us to see that that is found within first and foremost and it is found only in you as we submit to you to your truth in jesus name amen god bless you i love you i know it's late but if you want prayer for anything come and we will pray